Hello, hello, and welcome back to Whiskey and Popcorn. I'm your host, Kaylee, and I'm joined by the Cookie to My Cream Tuesday. Oh, Kaylee, the vodka to my soda. Today, we have a fresh documentary for you. It's one I've been really looking forward to. It's called Final Account, and it's a World War II documentary. Okay, okay, don't click away yet. I know it's my jam, not everyone's, but this doc really has some interesting guests. But before we dive in, it's time to pop the corn and pour yourself a drink. So Tuesday, You've already laid it out there, you're a World War II nerd. So how about you give us a synopsis of the documentary today? Sure, but you're sneaking way ahead. How about a clip first? Focus Features and Participant present an unprecedented documentary event. For the first time on record, the children of Nazi Germany give their final account in what may well be the last testimony of its kind. Honored at the Venice Film Festival and by critics worldwide, The Times gives it four stars. Final Account is an ambitious, exceptional, and important achievement. It serves as a timely and ominous warning about everyday evil and what happens when it reaches a boiling point. This is the past speaking to the present. So, as you heard, this documentary records the voices of the last living people who lived through Nazi Germany as Germans, starting off in Young Volk and then graduating into the Hitler Youth before many joined various German armed forces. It's a really intimate portrait of how the Nazi party drew in Germany's youth and into its ideology. Right, and the director himself, he is actually a descendant of uh, some Jews uh, from Austria, actually, but he never found that out until very, very recently. So he was curious to find out about what sucked in the German people into the Nazism. Uh, he wanted to hear it in their own words, their own voices. It's a perspective that I don't feel has really been touched on as much as seeing the victim side. And maybe that is because of the fact that, you know, you don't want to hear from those who are victimizing others, but really it's just as much a story for them as it is those of their victims. And uh, just a very interesting perspective. To give you an idea of what this documentary encompasses, this director, for over a decade, pulled 250 interviews of Germans of various ages when the Third Reich was coming up. So we have SS members, we have concentration camp guards. It's the, I think the biggest aspect of this 
film is watching in real time the indoctrination process. You know, it they would sneak in to I think to be to be a Hitler youth you have to be 10. Right I think that it was the young folk uh is for like little kids up to I think it was actually 12 and then at 12 12 14ish that right within that range became a teenager then you went into the Hitler youth but yeah the indoctrination started so young yeah so you see these kids who are 9 and 10 and they lie about their age so they can get into the Hitler youth early and you hear another gentleman who says my parents were very anti Adolf Hitler you couldn't say that out loud but clearly at home it was discussed that we were against this but i had a very outspoken public supporter of Adolf Hitler as a teacher. And I believed in my teacher more than my parents. And so that's how I got through. So it wasn't, I'm not going to say, you know, the whole country wasn't damned. There were people who very much saw through what was happening, but it's the, you put on your, you know, your SS or third Reich pin and you go outside and you act like a supporter. And that's just what you do. But just to see the, the array of interviews. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is hard to hear that some people were like, no, we were doing the job of our country. You know, they talk, they they don't directly talk about it, but the film just looking at the power of authority and conformity and having some form of like national identity or an ideological concept of what your life is mm-hmm. and seeing that actually play out in words of these people. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me of the one gentleman. He's like one of the first people we actually meet in the film. And I think he was actually one of the oldest individuals they interviewed. Um, but he was in uh, like one of the top, top uh, ranks, it, basically the elite ranks. And he said that he was proud to serve his country in that capacity, that he didn't think it was right that non-Germans put... Germans on trial, the Nuremberg um, trial. He also says that, like, he does not believe that they murdered millions and millions of people. It wasn't clear to me if he didn't believe in the concentration camps at all, or if he was just saying not that many people were killed. You're exaggerating. And, like, the the amount of uh, physical historical materials, like, he had all his medals, uh, you know, his paperwork... Um, letters and I'm just thinking from like a historian's perspective this amazing trove of artifacts that at some point belong in a museum but there was another gentleman too who I just was really fascinated by his conversations he had particularly when he sat down with a bunch of like high schoolers it looked like um, and they were discussing back and forth about you know, the German guilt, um, whether or not Germans today should feel guilty about World War II, whether, you know, the previous generations should feel guilty about Nazism, you know, who is actually responsible. And some of them students said that, you know, no, you and the Nazis were all monsters. And then somebody else says, well, why should I have to be guilty? I didn't do it, you know, that sort of thing. And and I think even one of them said, if I'm remembering correctly, that, you know, why do you have to be guilty? You were just doing what you were told. Um, And then he said something really powerful 
don't get uh, sucked into, you know, the lies. Keep your mind sharp. Don't just bow to, you know, what people tell you. Um, and I thought that was very powerful. And he like started to cry. And I was just like, oh my gosh, wow. And he was somebody who really regretted his involvement with Nazism. Now let's talk about the format of the documentary. Um, I believe it's one of your favorite styles, right? Yes. Yes. So the way that this documentary unfolds is that there is no narration. There's no, or very little like breaking up of the narrative with like a text, maybe just a few moments, just kind of explaining where things were, what time period it was, but the stories are told through the interviewees and we don't have some narration kind of driving a perspective on us. We get to hear all these different points of view in an unbiased way. Uh, and you get to make your own decision as an audience member, you know, and I, I just love that. I love it when the people can speak for themselves and you don't have like overly dramatic music. It was a fairly quiet film as far as music goes. Um, I don't have somebody talking me through the history or having very dramatic placards of text with dates and people. And there were, there was just a few of those and they were very tightly uh, kept so I really appreciated that. And I just, I love that style. I think you don't need to embellish people's stories. Uh, that's why the biggest thing I hate. I just like, let them speak for themselves, you know? Maybe it's the journalist in me. I'm just like, let the people speak for themselves. Yeah, no, and you need to have a powerful story to be able to not need any form of narration in the process. And it's done very, very well. You know. One thing I wanted to touch upon was, you know, we blame the current extremist groups and even some of the more extreme Trump supporters with a lot of blame is put on the Internet and the ability for this information to seem true and honest and looking out for your best interest. But when we look back, at World War II, that wasn't a situation. This was just pure propaganda-based manipulation and how it's still very much able to be done, but how much has the internet helped or hindered in that? Um, this, you know, people don't talk about the time frame, but you know, we talked back in the early 30s of the rise of Adolf Hitler. And even before, I mean, this took decade, decade and a half to get anywhere close to where we were murdering uh, Jews and Poles and gypsies and things of like that. You know, in, in this day and age, I, it's interesting to parallel our open access to information versus back then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know... It to kind of encapsulate what you're saying there, like you are limited on where you could get your information. And I think it was very easy to have state control, um, which is insidious in of itself, but with the internet and like a plethora of information, it's almost like the information overload. It makes it very hard for people who don't know how to research the right answers. 
to to find it almost and like kind of like what the the one uh gentleman said he's like you know i trusted my teachers more than my parents well who who do you trust nowadays more than the the people in authority i i do see some parallels between you know how people were indoctrinated during world war ii and what happens now um either full on into it i believe in this and this ideology to the you know I'm a disgruntled individual and I'm looking for somebody to blame um, for my problems to, you know, uh, uh, just outright delusion, people being manipulated. I mean, at the end of the day, people just want to live their lives. They want to be able to have a house or a roof over their head, you know, food, uh, you know, and do their work. And if you recall, after World War One, Germany was devastated. So that's what laid the groundwork for this extremism to come in during World War Two. And it's it's a, a little more complicated, I think, for us in the U.S. But if you think about it, really, with the Great Recession, there's a lot of people who have suffered and who feel forgotten and left behind. And what do they do? They turn to people who echo their sentiments and they just get drawn in and drawn in and drawn in um, and, you know, start marching <laughs> down the streets, marching on the Capitol. It's just, just what drives me nuts is it's the same story. It's the same trope. A set of people are downtrodden and they need someone to blame. And let's blame the immigrants. Let's blame the greedy Jews. Let's, they want to take over your life and they're getting all the opportunity that you're not getting. And it's not us rich or powerful people that are doing it, but you need to be fighting your fellow man. And like, let me show you how to do that. And you would think by now we would learn, like you see these warning signs and like, why, like, why don't we nationally do something about those kind of warning signs and this is what makes me pull my hair out and like you know my first love is history my undergrad degree is history greek and roman history history is very poorly taught within the k through 12 levels here in the u.s i just i think it's abominable unless you're going to maybe a private school or you get lucky and have a really stellar teacher but maybe it's just one teacher, you know, you might have a great teacher for American history, but not the rest. Like the way America consumes its own history, let alone the history of the world is so mediocre. These are conversations we have in the newsroom right now about, you know, uh, how history should be taught and, you know, who gets the say and what books you use and, you know, can you talk about the fact that slavery was bad? Speaking of the like the U.S. side of things, it's just insane. Um, and to the fact that you know, Holocaust deniers, you know, this new generation, I would say, they get they get to not have a proper education, so that when you actually do confront them with the facts, they don't believe it. Um, I feel like <laughs> every American citizen as a child maybe more like a middle schooler should have to go to the holocaust museum in dc and have to walk through that because when i did that when i was in middle school i was shook like yes i knew about world war ii 
but to basically get like an ID card and you were one of the victims and you followed their story as you went through the museum to see the shoes that were left behind. That really struck me. You know, the garments that you had to wear, uh, the photographs, the videos, it's just so important because it's in human nature to forget, in my opinion. Yeah, when I visited, I almost missed my plane back to Phoenix um, because you really want to take that time to walk through that museum and to see it firsthand. And, you know, that's that's really what this film is about. You know, the never before seen interviews with the last living generation from Hitler's Third Reich. This is the past speaking to the present. And I can't get over that. Like, the director obviously sees the reasoning and meaning behind releasing it when he did. And it's, it's unprecedented times. And that's when we need to be reminded of the past, I think. And overall, just incredibly brilliant. It's one of those films where you're, you're generally in awe of the, like, we're not talking, you know, he put it aside and put it back on. We're talking a decade of work. And that is just hours and hours of this footage and learning, like, how do you even cut? How do you even cut that? I'm thinking about all the interviews that probably didn't make it in, you know, all all this. I hope that any of that footage is archival. Like, please donate it to the various Holocaust museums around the world, because like, this is, this is precious material. And this, this, these modern wars that we've had to suffer the 19th 20th centuries like these don't these should not be forgotten and my fear is is that the further further we get away from it it's like the lessons they fade too and i don't want to see that happen to to our world and to the future right and you know to this day you can damn germans to hell if you want to but it's this was a perspective that we also needed to see this is how we study how children are indoctrinated into certain ideologies, whether that's Christianity, Judaism, or something as crazy as, you know, ISIS and the Third Reich. These are things and aspects we need to study. And I hope, like you said, the director gives it over to World War II museums and historical societies and allows psychologists and other people to study these interviews and see what makes these people tick. Um, it's, it's fascinating. And it's why I've always been intrigued by World War II and psychology and sociology and what makes us us. And mm-hmm. this is a beautiful in-depth look on, I guess you could say the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to say, I mean, it's still early in the year, but this documentary is probably going to stick with me for the rest of the year. I'm going to keep going back and thinking about it. Like, this is just one not to be missed at all. And speaking of not missing it, it's going to be released in theaters only to start. It's going to be released on Friday, May 21st uh, by Focus Features. So make sure that if you feel comfortable, you're vaccinated, um, go to the theater and see this one because it is a phenomenal piece of work, a phenomenal 
archive of history. And I highly recommend it to to everybody, honestly. <laughs> Kaylee, I'm not going to lie. World War II makes me want to drink. <laughs> Doesn't it always? These very tough topics can drive you to the bottle. Do you know what you're drinking? I do. Uh, so it is notoriously known that Nazis drink like frat boys. I'm know, not surprised. In World War II soldiers, you know, as World War II soldiers, Germans drank whether it was in celebration, it was in stress, it was in defeat. It didn't really matter. But one thing that they absolutely loved was Jägermeister. <laughs> so it was incredibly popular along the front lines during World War II. Now, the actual translation in German of Jägermeister is Master of the Hunt. So while it was previously associated with like genuine like buck hunting, they also use it in reference to Nazi forest hunters during the war. So it it was a brand that was born in 1934, so it was incredibly new. And they actually knew it as Gorig Schnapps, which was nicknamed after Hermann Gorig, who at one point served as Hitler's number two. So I will be having a Jägermeister on the rocks for our current generation of Germans still fighting for their national uh, identity and what should or should be not uh, considered reparations in the future. Mm. I hate Jägermeister, and that back history makes me kind of hate it even more, but I just don't like licorice, so um, I I feel like I'm actually wanting something more to, like, cleanse the mind to keep me sharp so I don't get drawn into any bizarro ideologies, conspiracy theories, so no alcohol for me today. I am going with some kombucha, because that'll supercharge your brain cells and keep you out of the cults. I hope. <laughs> and on that note, that is it for this episode. Be sure to follow us online at whiskeyandpopcorn.org. And of course, follow us on all the socials. We do your latest breaking trailers and posts and brand new posters on our Instagram and a bunch of movie news and additional trailers on our Facebook and all live streaming events on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you guys at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>